if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 15 through 21, and I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15, this is God's Word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. As we've been going through this book of Ephesians for several months, you've probably noticed a common theme And that is how God has a plan for his people and how he's the one who changes the hearts and minds of his people. And he does through through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes our sinful hearts and the Holy Spirit makes us into new people, uh, new Christians, new uh, creatures in Jesus Christ. And he changes our minds and our hearts uh, so we become united with Jesus And not only does the Holy Spirit enter enter us where we're united with Christ, but he also leads us and guides us as we journey through the Christian life and as we walk in faithfulness uh, for the Lord. Now, the question that I want to address this morning from the text is, what does it mean for us to walk with wisdom? How do we be wise as Christians? How do we live our lives with wisdom? And Paul gives us three things to think about for us as Christians. The first thing he says here in this text is that a Christian schedules his or her time wisely. We schedule our time wisely. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now what really jumped out to me in this verse is that last part. The days are evil. What in the world was Paul talking about when he wrote these words? Well, if you think about any time in history, you can, you can pinpoint times in history where things were really bad. But at the same time, you can look back on every day in history and realize that there was trouble in each day in, in history. Think about the times that we're living in today. There's a lot of trouble in this world. A lot of bad things are taking place because we live in a fallen, sinful world. A world that is broken, that desperately needs Jesus to make things right and to make things new again. But here's the reality for us as Christians. We were not meant for this world. We are meant for another world. And that other world is heaven. That other world is paradise. With Jesus Christ where there's no more hurricanes. There's no more murder, no more war, no more pandemics. But it's a place filled with peace, love, and joy. It's a place of paradise with Jesus Christ. That's the world all of us are meant to live in. And until Jesus returns and makes this broken world perfect and whole again, as it was once in the beginning, we're still going to live in days of evil filled with heartache and struggle. 
Just think about what's going on this week, the war in Afghanistan, a global pandemic as we've been dealing with for a year and a half now. Think about what took place in Haiti and and Middle Tennessee, and now Hurricane Ida is fast approaching. But to put things in perspective for each one of us, you know what I did this week? I, I did a Google search of what happened on this day 10 years ago. On August 29th of 2011, the headlines read this, Hurricane, Hurricane Irene pummeled east coast with massive flooding, at least 22 dead. Gaddafi executed 45 prisoners last week, and NATO bombed Gaddafi's hometown. Suicide mosque bombing killed at least 28 people in Iraq. Israel ordered reinforcements deployed to the Gaza Strip, Egypt border. An Indian anti-corruption activist ends a 13-day hunger strike. All these events took place 10 years ago on this day. There was a lot of evil back then, just as there is today. Because the days that we live in right now are filled with evil. We're living in a dark world. So as we journey through this dark world, this evil world, what are we to do? The Bible tells us to make the most of every opportunity that God has given us. To use our time wisely. To use it wisely. As a very old man, Moses, he said this right before he died in Psalm 90, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Such wise words from an older man, Moses, a godly man, who realized that the days he's living in bring trouble. And every day has enough trouble of its own. So what did Moses do? He declared to God saying, God, teach me to number my days and give me a heart of wisdom. As we live in trying times, God tells each one of us as Christians, Use our time wisely and effectively. John Christenstone, he said that times do not belong to you, but they belong to God. And unfortunately, so many of us, we miss out on great opportunities out of fear, out of worry, or just (laughs) because we choose other priorities. Now I'm going to address something that might be difficult for you to hear. But many of us are addicted to technology. We have shaped the tools for technology. And at the same time, technology is now shaping us. My question to you is, do you manage your technology or does your technology manage you? I know many of us spend hours a day scrolling through our phones watching TV, looking at our computers, watching the news, playing video games. What are we doing when we spend all our time and our spare time on the screen? Well, we're wasting a lot of our time. We're missing out on things that God may have us to do. 
because we're allowing our technology to get the best of us. So here's just three practical things I suggest us do on how we make our time wisely. The first thing is let's make it a goal each week on Sundays when you get that report on your phone that says this is the amount of screen time you've had this week. Let's make it a goal to see that decrease to a point that's manageable. Some of you have to be on your screens because of work. What I'm talking about is in your spare time. The screen usage, you probably got it this morning. I got mine this morning, and I hate to say I went up a little this week. It's like, uh uh-oh, i got to go down. The same way I would say to you, on Sundays, look at your screen, and, and if you are able to decrease that time spent on the screen, go get some ice cream. Or go celebrate. Celebrate the small wins. Yes, I haven't allowed the screen to rule over me and dominate me this week. A second suggestion I have is to make a to-do list and put it on a weekly calendar. My wife is the master of to-do list. Every day she has a list that she puts on her phone. And it's helped me realize I got to get a little more organized too. Thank you, Stephanie. So the last couple weeks, I've actually created a to-do list, and it's really been helpful. You know what's rewarding is when you have the to-do list and you're able to mark those things off. There's a sense of reward and accomplishment when you do that. So I would encourage you, make to-do lists because it helps you to focus on the important things instead of the urgent things. The third thing I would suggest do is to come up with a resolution on how you will use your time effectively and keep a diary as a way of monitoring what you have done with this precious gift that God has given you. Jonathan Edwards, years ago, the great reformer, when he was young in his, in his 20s, he put together a list of several resolutions, almost like New Year's resolution type things. And this is one of his resolutions. He said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Make a resolution on how you will use your time wisely and make the most of the opportunity that God has given you because this life is short, it's a mist, it's a vapor, it vanishes quickly. So we need to make the most of the opportunity God has given us. The second way that we can live as wise Christians is we don't just schedule our time wisely, but we seek to understand the will of God. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So many of us, we go through our Christian life seeking to know what God's will is for us. The problem, though, is that we focus on God's will of direction. What I mean by that is, you go through your life and you ask God the question, God, what would you have me to do in this decision? Would you have me move to Nashville and take this job or stay here? Would you have me move into this house or move into this house? Would you have me become an engineer or a lawyer? Would you want me to marry this person or that person? Would you want me to major in this or major in that? Go to school here or go to school there. 
If you think about your life and your prayers, I imagine most of your prayers, when it comes to the will of God, you're asking God to direct you in making a sound, wise decision. That's not bad. You can still, and I encourage you to still pray to God when you face those decisions, but the issue is this. The Bible doesn't tell us if we, do, we, if we are to move to Nashville or stay here. The Bible does tell us to marry Christians, but it doesn't tell us to marry who? The Bible doesn't tell us to be an engineer or a lawyer. You know what the Bible does tell us? It tells us that God has a will of desire. And his desire for you and me is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. His desire for us, his will for us is that we would act justly love mercy, and walk humbly before our Lord. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the will of God for you, that he desires for you. But unfortunately, many of us spend so much of our efforts thinking about God's will of direction, and we forget about God's will of desire. And at the end of the day, what matters most is God's will of desire. What does he desire? So, if you are seeking his kingdom, if you are loving him and serving him, he doesn't care if you become an engineer or a lawyer. He says, great, just keep doing what you're doing. Give me glory. If you're seeking to love him, he's excited when you're interested in someone and you choose to get married to that person, as long as they're a believer. So again, I would encourage you, don't spend so much of your time asking God, Lord, show me your will here in this decision, but instead say, Lord, you've already shown me what you want. Help me to continue to be faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5 really gives us a good definition of God's will for us. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice this, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. God tells us what his will is for us. He tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, another passage in the Bible that tells us what God's will is for us is Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, as I've been reading it, he tells us what the Lord's will is right after verse 17. He says in verse 18, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God's will for us. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord. And submit to one another. These are things we are to do that is in the will of God. It's what he desires for us. We are to give thanks in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean we give thanks for all the evil that's around us. No, of course not. That's not what, what Paul is saying here. Give thanks in all circumstances. No. We don't need to be thankful that there's a war going on right now. What he's saying here is be thankful in the context of Jesus Christ. What glorifies God? What praises Jesus? What brings him glory? Those are the things we are to be thankful for. That is God's will for you and me. Kevin DeYoung, he wrote a great book on this called Just Do Something, Understanding God's Will for Our Lives. And he said, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will and just go out and do something. How freeing is that? 
So please don't spend a lot of your time worrying about, should I take this job or this one? Should I marry this person? Should I major in this or that? Just be faithful to the Lord and do something. So how do we walk with wisdom? Well, we schedule our time wisely. We seek to understand God's will. But the third thing he mentioned here is we shoot down drunkenness. Now, I'm sure when I read this text, you're probably wondering, oh, it talks about don't get, don't, don't get drunk. The pastor's going to preach about alcohol today. This will be interesting. What's he going to say? Well, first off, what I will say is this. The Bible never condemns drinking alcohol or wine. In fact, it encourages it when you are at the age limit and above the age limit. I kid you not, a couple years ago, uh, my my family and I, we were visiting a a local Baptist church. I won't tell you who it was. We were visiting a local Baptist church, and and the preacher, he began to preach on alcohol. And he used verse, he used all these verses completely out of context, and he said, alcohol is wrong. Wine is wrong. Don't ever drink And I went up after the service, and he knew I was a Presbyterian pastor, and he said, now, Seth, I know that you you disagree with me on that sermon, because you're a Presbyterian pastor. I said, well, yeah, I disagree. And I said, you preached all those verses out of context. And he said, well, you know why I did it? I said, why? He said, because I have a lot of deacons who are drinking at home, and they're abusing it, and so I needed to address them from the pulpit. And I looked up, and I said, there could have been a lot better way to do that and to deal with that than just from the pulpit. And he said, yeah, but it's a big problem. I said, well, go talk to them individually, not from the pulpit, and don't preach out of context. What does the Bible say about alcohol? It says a lot. And it says alcohol is actually not a bad thing. It can be a good thing when you are at the age to drink. I've got a lot of young people in this room. Don't drink till you're 21. Romans 13 is clear, obey the laws of the land. But what does the Bible say about alcohol? Ecclesiastes 9, 7, go Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. He's saying, yeah, it's okay to drink with a merry heart. 1 Timothy 5 talks about the benefits of alcohol medicinally. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. It's okay to have a little wine to help with your stomach problems. Psalm 104, 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. He's saying God blesses us by giving us wine to gladden our hearts. So here's the thing about your pastor. I have a glass of wine. I drink alcohol every now and then. And I do it in the context of my home or around people that I know do not struggle with alcoholism. If you're going to drink around somebody who struggles with alcohol, don't drink around them because that's encouraging them to drink more. Romans 14 tells us don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. And when we drink and we know that person's tendency is to get drunk, that's not helping them. So please... Please watch out. It's like we're in a concert right now, you know. (laughs) But I say honestly, be careful who you drink around and when you drink. And don't drink in excess. I kid you not, one time I went to the wine store to get a bottle of wine. And I ran into one of you. 
And you were shocked to see me there. And you said, well, hey, pastor. (laughs) And I said, well, I see you here too. Be very, very cautious, though, about when you drink, who you drink around. Make sure you're 21. I didn't drink till I was 21. On my 21st birthday, I had one sip. It was terrible what I had, but it is an acquired taste. Um, But long story short, what does Paul tell us? He says, be cautious. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Do you know what wine can do to you and alcohol can do to you? It can dull your senses. If you drink in excess, you'll become intoxicated. Wine and alcohol is a depressant. It's not a stimulant. And so wine and alcohol can depress you. It can dull your senses, and it goes straight to your brain, and you lose self-control if you drink too much. The Bible is crystal clear. Drink in moderation. Don't have too much. Because it's debauchery. Proverbs 23 says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Crystal clear here, be careful how much you take, how much you drink. If you get drunk, that's a sin against God. And I have, just like you, have, I've been around people who've had too much to drink. And it's not pleasant. Because when you have too much to drink, it not only dulls your senses, but it makes you a little giddy. It can make you sad and emotional. It, may, it can make you really quiet. It can make you really angry. You start to lose self-control. When you drink too much. And then you do things that you wished you had never done. And you say things that you wished you have never said. Please be cautious how much alcohol you take in. It was an issue in Paul's day because the city of Ephesus was known as wine country. They, they believed in a Greek god. The pagans of the day believed in a Greek god. His name was Bacchus and he was a wine god. And this wine god Bacchus dominated the lives of the people in the culture and of the city of Ephesus, and it was infiltrating the churches. I do not want alcohol to infiltrate this church in a negative way. And I've seen it in many Reformed Presbyterian churches and other churches where people and leadership abuse alcohol. I don't want this church to be that. So yes, there's freedom, but don't abuse your freedom to drink and make sure you're of age but here's the thing what I love about what Paul said here he said don't get drunk for it leads to debauchery but be filled with the spirit he's saying a wise Christian is under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not of alcohol or any other substance but instead You are under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. So you might be wondering, okay, what does it mean to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with Him? Well, Acts 4.31 is a good example of this. When the Christians had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, a lot of my Pentecostal charismatic friends would say, To be filled with the Holy Spirit means you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
No, they're wrong. I love them, but they're wrong. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time change when the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we become born again. We become new people in Christ. We become a Christian. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something completely different than being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and baptized by all the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit simply means this. Lord, show me what you want me to do with what you desire. Lord, fill me with peace and comfort and joy. Lord, help me to have a passion for you so I can speak your name with boldness. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there will be times when you're filled with this kind of peace and joy where people might think you're drunk. And I say that because it happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. All of the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. And all these people in different languages heard the gospel for their first time and they came to faith in Christ. It wasn't gibberish, by the way. Some, however, made fun of them and they said, they've had too much wine. They didn't have wine at all. They didn't have a a sip of alcohol. But they had the Holy Spirit in them who excited them. And because of that, lives were being changed. There have been times where I've had a lot of passion and people say, have you had any alcohol? And I'll say, I haven't had a sip. I've had Jesus. And they'll say, what are you on, man? What are you high on? I'm high on Jesus is what I am. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have that kind of passion and excitement that only Jesus can provide. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is a stimulant. In that, he stimulates us to have passion and rigor and zeal and boldness. Alcohol is a depressant. Holy Spirit is a stimulant. And Paul finishes out this section telling us what a spirit-filled Christian is. And what does a spirit-filled Christian do? First, a spirit-filled person sings their hearts out. Verse 19, we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Have you ever been in a worship service where you're overcome with emotion when you're singing? This is what happens to a spirit-filled Christian. You're singing a song or you're listening to a song on a radio and all of a sudden you're emotional. You're like, whoa, what's happening to me? That's not indigestion. That's Holy Spirit. He's having us sing because we realize when we sing, we're singing to an audience of one and it's God Almighty. We're not singing to impress each other. So you you couldn't carry a tune, but yet you could sing with your heart out because you know you're singing to God Almighty, an audience of one. one. That's a spirit-filled person. A spirit-filled person not only sings their hearts out, but they also show gratitude. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again the context. We're not to be thankful for times of evil and the evil things around us. We're to be thankful in the context of Jesus Christ. Whatever is uplifting to him and praising and glorifying to him we are to give thanks in those circumstances and then a spirit-filled person submits to others verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for christ the word submit in greek is hupotasso which means it's in the context of a military officer with a lower ranking and the and the lower ranking troop submits to the higher ranking individual And they give up their schedule. They don't know when they're going to eat and what they're going to eat. 
They submit out of humility and out of reverence. Think about being on a team. You're not a one-man or one-woman show when you're on a team, but instead you submit to the team, to the greater good. You use your talents, but sometimes you step aside or step back so that others can play as well. The same goes for an orchestra. You don't just have one string instrument player playing the whole time. No, they have to submit to the greater good so that it can have a fuller, better sound. So a spirit-filled Christian learns to take one for the team, learns to be a team player, learns to die to self, and learns to submit to others for the greater good so that there can be greater impact. We've talked about a lot today, but there's a lot in these verses. And at the end of the day, what does it take for us to be wise Christians? Well, we know first that it takes us to schedule our time wisely. It takes us to seek to understand God's will, and it takes us to shoot down drunkenness. And as we shoot down drunkenness and we be filled with the Spirit, we sing our hearts out, we show gratitude, and we learn to submit to one another. 